very happy new year to you all. My name is Georgie Ma, Ma Puyu, and I am your host for Chinese Chippy Girl. Hands up, who's glad to see the end of 2020? Yep, me too. I hope you all had a lovely new year. For me, it's a really special time as it's my daughter's birthday on New Year's Eve, so I feel it's like double celebrations. She turned two. I can't believe it. Those two years have gone by so quickly. We took her to Chinatown and we got a dim sum takeaway, which she absolutely loves. She's a massive fan of Lorback Gold, which I am too. So Lorback Gold is turnip cake. Proper easy eats right there. And for those of you who don't know what I mean by Easier Eats, it was a mini movement that Anna Chan and I created in December to celebrate our East and Southeast Asian food culture. I'd recommend you take a listen to my previous episode, episode 10, where we go more into detail. Likewise, if you are new to my pods, I have 10 more episodes where I talk about life growing up as a minority and I bring various guests from the ECA community and they talk about their experiences too. Speaking of guests, I am so chuffing excited to bring you my first guest of 2021. I have a massive obsession over this person. I don't have a man crush over him, it's simply an obsession because the only man crush I have is Roger Federer. (laughs) He's honestly my biggest crush. This is really random, but I remember I walked past him in Wimbledon and I was so starstruck to the point where for years I've been rehearsing what I would say to Roger if I ever met him. I would tell him that I'm a big fan and I would tell him that I remember watching him on TV when he beat Pete Sampras for the first time at Wimbledon and I got semi-final tickets to Wimbledon and seeing him play for the first time in 2003. He went on to win the Grand Slam then as well but instead when he walked past me I got my phone out, I shone it right into his face and started shouting Roger, Roger, Roger as if he needed reminding of what his name is. Hey, yeah, why am I talking about Roger Federer? He's got nothing to do with this episode. I can't remember where I am. Uh, Where was I? Uh, Oh, yeah. (laughs) My obsession, my next guest is Kelvin Tan. Wow, that took a mouthful for me to get there. But very quickly, don't forget you can follow me on Instagram, Chinese Chippy Girl. And if you're listening to this episode, feel free to share it with your friends and add it onto your socials. Tag me in. Oh, very exciting news. We reached 1,000 ECAEs hashtags on the grid. So thank you so much to everyone who has shared their stories to celebrate the ECA food culture, where we are proving that our food culture is just perfect the way it is. It's comforting, it tastes good, and we want people to continue sharing their stories. And speaking of which, here is someone who is a massive ambassador for ECEs, and I literally obsess over his page. It's Mr. Kelvin Tan. Okay, it's me again. I'm not quite ready to pass you over to Kelvin Tan just yet. So something happened today and I've been tagged in quite a few posts about the Mahjong line. (sighs) Mahjong, the game Mahjong. I'm just going to call it Majet because that's what it is in Cantonese. So the game Majet is a traditional Chinese game that has been played since around the 20th century. So it's a long time. And my mum used to play it. She used to play it quite a lot. And I remember as a kid, me and my brother would say, Hi Thai, hi Thai, which basically translate to let's have a game of magic. And I also remember that my mum, she used to play magic with a group of ladies as well. One of them was my auntie, Assam. And I remember they used to close the shop at, you know, midnight. And then we used to drive to one of our houses and they used to play magic. We used to, me and my brother used to go and then we used to meet up with my cousins as well and our, you know, really close family friends. So it was really good fun. Even though as kids we weren't playing it, we would always hang out and this happened quite regularly. And my mum, she used to kick ass at magic. I just remember she used to always say, set wool, set wool, which basically said like she's won. 
disclaimer, I haven't played Magic in a very, very long time. And it's only because I've been checking out Carly Rue's Instagram that I've been having a bit of a refresher with the objective of the game. So the point of the game is to get a Magic. And to get a Magic, the player has to get, uh, has to get four sets and they have to get a pair. Within the set, uh, there's 144 tiles and within those tiles there's various different suits. So what's wrong with the magic line? I hear you ask. Okay, I'll just try and break it down to you. So it's basically been whitewashed. It's been whitewashed by three girls who don't look as though they're from the East and Southeast Asian background. They've completely redesigned, recreated the tiles itself. They've got it in various different colours and they've also redesigned the actual look and the feel of the individual, the um, the creative of the actual tiles. So, for example, the Hongzhong, which I was telling you about as part of the honour suits, that actual tile, they've replaced it with... A joker. I think they've included or they've added an extra tile in the honor suit. Uh, it's just it's just unbelievable that they've that they've done this. And this just brings me back to oh my god, I can't believe I'm saying it. This just also brings me back to the MasterChef contestant who said that they wanted to refine Asian food and to make Asian food pretty. Well, this is the same thing. They're basically trying to refine uh, Majid and they're trying to make it look prettier just to suit the white palette. It's just insane that this is happening. And it's becoming too much of a wider problem that far too many people are getting away with colonising our culture. I mean, why can't people just leave it alone? And if you're profiteering from our culture, do your research, speak to the community, stand by the community even, you know, because hate crime on our community since the pandemic has increased. And in the UK, it's increased by over 300%. Where's your support? And just to make it clear, I don't have a problem with white people or non-Asians coming into our culture and taking an interest with it. In fact, I think it's great. But if you're running a campaign or if you're running a business that has derived from our culture, don't whitewash it. It doesn't need whitewashing. It's 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 great how it is. And don't refine it. As I said, it's great how it is. Respect it. It's been in our tradition for centuries. It doesn't need other people from a different race to try and refine it. Just leave it how it is. So if you want to buy a set of magic, like a, a traditional set of magic, I just quickly went into eBay just to see how much it costs. And it ranges from £30 to £200. The £200 obviously is like, you know, really vintage. But the Maj Online, they are selling it for up to $425, which is basically... £300. Now, <laughs> I told my mum about this and here's what she's got to say. Oh, <laughs> yeah, my mum, yeah, she's not happy about that neither. Okay, now I'm ready to take you over to Kelvin Tan. Hi, how's it going? Hi. Oh. <laughs> Hi again. <laughs> <laughs> I, I hope this is a lot clearer. You know, it sounds much better. Yeah, it sounds much better already. Yeah, I know, because I think it's... If people are listening, and if people struggle to listen, like they, if they can't understand it, it kind of ruins it, you know? Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I don't know, it just wasn't good, because it's like, I, I was listening to all your previous pods, uh, your episodes, and everybody sounds so clear. And I was like, oh, no, I can't, I can't, I can't have that, like... Yeah. It'll just ruin it, you know, because it's just... 
yeah, it's not good. It's not good. So it just didn't sit well with me because you put a lot of work into it, you know, all the editing and stuff. And then just for that, it was like, that is good. <laughs> it, it was, it was on my mind a little bit, but then I was just like, I just thought, well, the content's good. And I just didn't really want to, I don't know. I just, I just thought okay, it's, it's, it's fine. But when you said, can, can we re-record? I was like, yeah, brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So for people listening, as you can gather, this is take two of our, <laughs> of, our, of our chat. I actually interviewed Kelvin on the 30th of December. And now it's like, oh, yeah, we're now in 2021. <laughs> Let's do this again. But you're right, though. It's important just to, you know, to get the, the, sound, the sound right as well. And yeah. So, but anyway, Happy New Year. Yeah, Happy New Year to you as well. What did you do for New Year? Nothing too crazy. It was my dad's birthday the next day. I know. I wanted to talk about that because it was also Sadie's birthday on the 31st. So your dad and Sadie's birthday, they're, uh, my daughter Sadie, they're one day apart. I think that's really yeah. sweet. <laughs> <laughs> but it was funny because I woke up the next morning and I went down to him and he was in the kitchen. And I wanted to say to him, happy birthday, dad. But that felt really awkward. So I just kind of, I looked at him and he looked at me and he goes, he's just looking at me. And I was like, uh, dad, it's your birthday, isn't it? And he goes, yeah. I was like, oh, okay. Happy birthday, dad. And he was like, what's wrong? And I was like, <laughs> <laughs> nothing, dad. I just want to say happy birthday. And he's like, oh, okay. Uh, yeah. It's just like no emotions, you know, it's really awkward just to try. <laughs> do you not, do you not normally wish him a happy birthday or? No, I don't know. I mean, he never, he, he never wished me any happy birthdays over the years either. Like, you might just ring me maybe a week after my birthday going, it was your birthday recently, you know? I'm like, yeah, it was. <laughs> oh, Papa Tan. <laughs> it is the way it is. So, yeah. i seen that your dad made himself a, a Pandan birthday cake. Yeah. That looked yeah, amazing. He, he's, he's pretty good at it. He's got a good recipe down. Um, yeah. Very, very light, very fluffy. Yeah, but my, co- my co- I've got a cousin in Singapore works in a Japanese bakery, mm-hmm. and he's got a recipe that has coconut milk in it. It's got like uh, cane sugar and mm-hmm. all these kind of. It's a, it's a very different recipe, but I want to try it. But I don't know if I want to deviate from my dad's recipe because, you know, when something's good and you know when something works, and then you go and try something else. I mean, I, I, it was it always is good to try and experiment and stuff like that. But mm-hmm. sometimes it's good for a reason, you know. You just don't change for it. Yeah. Do you feel also because if you try a different recipe, you're kind of cheating on your dad? A little bit. You see, the thing is, I like to I like to try new things, and I'm always saying to dad, I'm always trying to propose to him, dad, why don't we try this? And he gets really upset. He's like, why, yeah. why? This is this is what young people think. Young people, you always <laughs> want to change things, and I'm just like, eh, try it, dad. The flavor might be better, you know. And he's very, he's always really defensive about these kind of, these kind of things. But it's if you show him. Like if you do it and you give him an example and you say, look, yeah. dad, look at this. And then he'll be like, he'll say nothing. He, w- he won't say if it's good or bad. He'll have a little taste. If it's bad, he'll tell you it's bad. If it's good, he won't say anything and he'll walk away. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Papa Tani sounds like my dad. Um, did your dad make noodles for himself on his birthday? Because that's like a Chinese tradition, isn't it? I only discovered this a couple of years ago. Uh, he didn't make noodles, no. But he comes from a noodle family because his uh, his dad was a noodle maker and his granddad was also a noodle maker. So he makes these amazing egg noodles by by hand. What your dad does? Well, they, they like the family used to do it. Yeah. Right, so there was okay. two kinds. There was two kinds of noodles they did. I think one was a uh, one was a wheat one, and the other one was an egg one. One was like uh, my aunt used to say to me. One was a bit more yellow because mm-hmm. of, of the eggs and a little bit more oily as well. But I think that was like only made on special occasions. Right. It, it wasn't made like, usually for birthdays, like you said, mm-hmm. for birthdays and things like that, or for New Year's and things like that. Oh, nice. Let's just pause for a second. Just for <laughs> the people out there that don't know who you are, do you want to just give a, an introduction to who Kelvin Tan is? Yeah. Okay. So my name is Kelvin. Uh, I'm Chinese Malaysian, but I grew up in Ireland. Uh, I work as a chef. So I work in a two-star Michelin restaurant in Nottingham. 
And I think that's all I have to say, really. I love food. Uh, and uh, yeah, that's, that's my life. <laughs> and have you, have you always wanted to be a chef? Uh, no, I don't think so. Um, it was only when I got, when I went to university and then I realized I wanted to be a chef. When I was away from all the good food that was surrounding me. Because I grew up in, the, in a Chinese restaurant and takeaway. So my dad, he, he would always cook really good food. And then if I was at home, my auntie would cook good food for us as well. So very good home-cooked food. And then going to university, you're going away from all of this delicious stuff. And it made me realize, yeah, I need to know how to cook. So I think that's when I decided that mm. I wanted to become a chef. And what did you do at uni? Uh, I studied hotel management. Mm-hmm. Uh, I went to Shannon College of Hotel Management. Uh, so it's a very specific college for hospitality. Mm-hmm. So you end up with a, a degree in uh, business or commerce, mm-hmm. depending on which course you take, and then a diploma in international hotel management. Oh, cool. I spent a second year, I think, living in uh, Brussels uh, because I spoke French. And uh, yeah, that was the first taste of the kitchen, I think, because they, they put me into a hotel. And the very first department was um, kitchen. Just kind of going back a little bit. So you, you mentioned that you had, that your parents had like a restaurant takeaway. So I take it, did you work there as well? Yeah, I worked there from a young age. I think it's that when I was 12. I remember it was like, I wanted them, I think mobile phones were coming out at the time. Mm-hmm. And back then it was like, it's Nokia 3210. It was like the best thing ever because it was snake. And yeah. if one person had it, everyone crowded around, you know? So I was like, oh, I need to get a phone. And I said to my auntie, I was like, oh, my dad, I was like, I want a phone. And my auntie was like, if you want a phone, you, can, you better go work. You've started helping out in the restaurant. So I was like, right, okay. So I was like, dad, uh, I want to work, but I want to get paid. <laughs> 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 and my dad was like, right, fine. So the deal was, it was like, I think you paid me five pounds, five Irish pounds. This is before the euro. We joined the oh. euro. Five Irish pounds a day or something. No, it wasn't, was it a day or a week? It was a week, I think. And <laughs> I, I worked like the whole summer months because it was obviously in school holidays. And I worked for three months and I got, eventually I saved up enough money and I got myself a Nokia. At the time, we got a Nokia 3310. It was the blue one. But I had enough money to buy a Nokia 3330, the white one. Nice. I, it, yeah, so it was like for an extra 20 pound. I don't know what the difference was. It's just the fact it was, one was blue, one was white. I was like, <laughs> I'll get the white one. <laughs> so I... I I, I think I understood the value of money because I was mm-hmm. like, oh my God, I worked all summer just for this, you know? Yeah. So it was good. It was good. And then I just continued to work from in the, mm-hmm. after school, you know? Every day I come back, I work in the takeaway, just take the orders, answer the phones, things mm-hmm. like that. Dad was yeah. in the kitchen. Okay. Um, and I was always in the front. Uh, I, yeah, I, I never went into the kitchen, only just if they were busy. Like on the weekends, let's say, and there was other staff on that were in the front. And I would go into the back and I would stand there and I would like, I pack all the food, you know, because I knew all the numbers. I put them into the bag. Mm-hmm. I knew the dishes. So I knew how which, whose who's was what order and things like that. But then, yeah, just standing around, just, I wasn't afraid of the kitchen or anything. I think I was just, it just wasn't where my dad wanted me to be, I think. You know? you know what you did actually tell me this and I forgot to say at the time I was really surprised when you told me that because I just thought because you're a chef you just you just worked with your dad was, so when you told me that you didn't do any of that you just worked at the front I was just like so I don't know it's just like so surprised yeah I know because it's um yeah I, I didn't know how to cook until until I was about 23 <laughs> <laughs> Because it was like going to uni, I, I was just eating really shit food, like pastas, takeaways, just rubbish. Mm-hmm. And I, I put on a lot of weight and I was like, this is not right. This isn't healthy. Because mm-hmm. obviously I was going out drinking all the time as well. So that didn't help. And then I was like, uh, when I realized I wanted to become a chef, I needed to know how to cook because I, mm-hmm. I had no, no, no cooking skills whatsoever. And then uh, I just moved to... Um, yeah, I got into the industry. I just said, you know, the, the options were to go back into education again. But I was like, there's no point in me going back and studying another four more years to get a culinary degree. You know, I already have a business degree. Mm-hmm. 
if we just can't, I, I just need the practical. That's all I need. So then one of my lecturers said to me, he goes, you've got two options. You can either go straight into the industry and learn in the kitchen, or you can go down to like a, a private cooking school. Uh, but I just finished four years at uni. You know, my dad supported me during those times. And I didn't want to ask my dad, oh, dad, can I get more money to go and study again? You know, you probably tell me to fuck off. Like, <laughs> <laughs> So I thought the, the best thing to do was to just get straight into the industry, find yeah. someone who will take me on, mm-hmm. kind of like an apprentice yeah. and teach me. So because, you know, part of my courses, part of my college was to go and do a final year placement. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I I viewed that as that was my first chefing job. So I applied for uh, various hotels and I was fortunate to get Glen Eagles in Scotland uh, to take me on. Money that's was crap. amazing. <laughs> but you know what though? Glen Eagles, that's amazing. That is like one of the top hotels, top restaurants. That's where they have the, um, of, they have like the... They had a massive summit there, didn't they? They had like uh, yeah, a few they're... years ago. And are they not famous? The hotel is not famous for golf as well. Oh, it's my famous God. for golf. Yeah, that's yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I know my golf. Um, not really. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that's how I got into the industry. Just applied, learn how to cook. But then I was like, I remember going to Glen Eagles, and the hotel was just so busy. Where mm. I was was a Mediterranean restaurant, and it taught me how to like work very fast mm-hmm. because we were doing like two hundred customers a night. I mean, the food wasn't very refined. It was tasty. It was delicious. But it wasn't like like the stuff that I've been kind of cooking now, let's say. But it taught me a lot of things. It taught me flavors. It taught me how to work clean, work fast. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, it was my it's your first insight to the industry. So it's your first time, mm-hmm. you know. So I spent a year there. And after that year, I moved to London. I worked at the Savoy Hotel. Because I thought, you know, moving from a hotel, the hotel would be easier. And I, that was around the time of the Olympics. It was 2012. Mm-hmm. Um, I went into the Savoy and I, I spent a year there. But then I, I, found, I realized it was like, yeah, the hotel is not for me, I don't think. Because the focus was more about the guests. And whatever the guests wanted, the, the guests would get. So you get some crazy orders. Because we had like a lot of celebrities in. I'm not going to say who or what they were eating. But say who, was, say who. No. <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, there was a lot, there was a lot of bullshit. And they, even if they weren't celebrities, there was like a lot of wealthy people. They just, they have this different way of looking at the world. It's whatever they want, they think they can get. And it's not, it's not human. I, you know, it's obviously a different world that they live in. Because it's just not for me. You know, I was, it's a bit soul destroying, you know, at times. So <clears throat> I decided, you know, I think if I really want to know how to cook, I need to get into a restaurant. Like uh, somewhere that's either pushing for a Michelin star or someone that has a Michelin star. So I remember on my days off for a whole month, what I did was I applied for loads of places all around the city, all star places. And I worked out whichever days I had off, I would go for a trial. So I did that for a whole month. So I was like literally nonstop for a whole month. My head chef at the time, he, he said to me, he goes, you better stop. You better pick one place because you look fucked. <laughs> because you got to remember you're still working here. And I was like, right, okay, that's true. That's true. But there wasn't anywhere that I felt like comfortable, you know, everywhere there were all good reputations, but it's important to find the right place. And I remember I was living in Ealing at the time and I had a friend who was a restaurant manager of a place in Richmond. So I just saw on his Facebook, he, he said, oh, we've just won two rosettes from the AA guide. And I was like, oh, that's AA guide is okay. It's not, not bad. And I was like, obviously he's a friend of mine. I messaged him. I was like, I live in Ealing. I can get the bus. And he was like, yeah, come down. You know, I'll put a word in for the chef. And I remember coming down for a day. I saw a lunch service. I saw a wine dinner service that they did. So it was a special thing they were doing that night. Basically got like a, a wine producer in, plus the wine suppliers. And what they did was they created a menu around the wine. So they had four or five different wines and they created the food just to suit that. Usually it's the other way around. So I was like, this is a really special place. You know, I can be really involved in learning about wine. I can see amazing food. And I remember like spending that day with them. And I was looking at all these ingredients and I was like, what the hell is this? You know, it was like, I saw stuff that I'd never seen before. Like to me now, there's a lot of things that I know, but back then it was like amazing. You know, it was like my eyes were just open. So I think that was the first time I saw like real gastronomy because the chef, his background was always Michelin starred Mm -hmm. and his goal was to win a Michelin star. 
but he didn't want to do it like the way a lot of chefs do it nowadays with big PR or big investor. He wanted to do it very natural, very natural way, like grow the business organically, you know, because if the foundation is solid, then you, you'll always have a sustainable business. I remember, like I said to him, I go, look, chef, I really want to work here. And he was like, yeah, uh, I, I want you to work here too, but I'll offer you an apprentice position. So I was like, oh no, how much does that get paid? Because I remember the apprentice at the Glen Eagles was 12 grand a year. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I can't do that. I can't afford to do that. Like to live in London for 12 grand a year. Yeah, that's it's madness, hard. You know? Very hard. But a, a part of me was like, I want this place so bad. And eventually he worked at, he goes, look, okay, I'll, I'll offer you a commie chef position, 16 grand a year. So coming from the Savoy, I had to take a pay cut. That was still hard, 16 grand a year. But you know what? I did it. And I did that for three years. You know, it's just like, because I wanted to do it and I was happy uh, until I, until like eventually I went home for holidays and when we were going home, everybody was like, oh my God, you look so ill. Like you look so unhealthy. You look so, because everyone like, I lost all this weight, you know, I was like so skinny and, but I was happy because I was so immersed in this world of cooking. You know, we were a very small team. We were pushing really ourselves to the maximum that we could do you know, hoping to win like great things. And yeah, when you, when you, when you get so immersed into something like that, you just lose like everything else around you, you know, he was pushing me to do a lot of competitions. He was a very good mentor. Like he was always pushing me to do the Rue scholarship, which is a competition. I think it's probably the best competition in the UK for chefs. Uh, fuck MasterChef. Rue scholarship is the one. <laughs> <laughs> I'm serious. Like what scholarship is, all- is it? Sorry. What scholarship? It's called the Rue Scholarship. The Rue Scholarship. So, you, you know, you know the Rue brothers, Michel and Alan. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, oh, sorry, Michel. Well, I've, Michel heard, I've heard of, I've uh, heard of it. Yeah. So yeah, they were the ones that set it up, and now obviously it's it's the sons that have taken it over now. So it's Michel Rue Junior and Alan Rue have taken it over. But every year there's always a, uh, a winner, and mm. they become part of like the family in, in a sense like that. I think because I remember mm. seeing my chef he used to go on trips uh, to Japan. He went to New York. You know, we're also all fellow chefs, all fellow winners. So you, you're going on a, a food tour with people who are like you, mm-hmm. who are really into food, who are very skilled at what they do. So it's going to be an amazing trip. You know, you're going to learn mm-hmm. so much things. You have such a good time. And uh, yeah, so he pushed me to do that. Um, and then he pushed me to do, a, a, it was a Japanese competition. Mm-hmm. It was from uh, All Nippon Airways, so just Japan's uh, five-star airline. It was a collaboration between them and the British Hospitality Association. And it was called like the Seven Samurai Chef Competition. Oh, wow. So the, what you had to do was write in 100 words how Japanese cooking can influence you and also submit a picture of a dish. So I did that and I got selected. So there were seven of us in total um, because there was seven's a lucky number in Japan. And we went there for seven nights and yeah, just all expenses paid food tour. It was amazing. Like really like opened my eyes seeing Japanese culture, you know, the, the, the country out there is, because obviously when you, when I, when I was thought of Japan, it was always like Tokyo or Osaka, you know, mm-hmm. big lights, flashy, crazy. But then when you actually go out to rural Japan, it's so like peaceful, just so calming, you know, it's yeah. like, it, like you're, you're like lost in wherever, you know complete opposite of hong kong like yeah. <laughs> complete and how long ago was that i think that was in 2016 okay i think if i remember correctly but yeah that was amazing because we got to see uh Skiji market the the very famous fish market in japan mm-hmm. in tokyo because it's relocated now because the plan was uh they were going to relocate it because of the olympics the 2020 olympics that never happened <laughs> Oh God! <laughs> I forgot about that. I've just forgotten about I... 2020. I've, I've written it off. Yeah, we just exactly. went from tw- you, we just went from 2019 straight to 2021. There's no 2020. It's like the lift. It's like the lifts in uh, in Hong Kong. You know, like 14 is a unlucky number. So if, if you're yeah. getting a lift in Hong Kong, because we're like skyscrapers, it's like 11, 12, 13, 15. Well, that's what 2020 is. It's just forgotten about. <laughs> Yeah, exactly, exactly. But anyway, sorry, go go on. <laughs> um, 
So yeah, it decided, you know, it was time to move on. It's three and a half years was a long time with, with that chef. And uh, I, did, I applied for the Ritz. I got the job and I spent a year there. Um, but then I, it made me realize again the, why I didn't want hotels because the focus, yes, the focus was they had a restaurant, but they had like all these other uh, things. They had like room service, you have the bar, you had like functions. And being a hotel chef, you have to cater for all of these things. But I think what I realized was I wanted to focus more on like a restaurant, like a single restaurant where the focus was just the food, you know. Um, so then I left I, and I went to Nottingham to where I am now at Top Baines. Nice. And how long have you been there for? I think almost three years now. Uh, if you well, half of 2020 wasn't really counted, so yeah, let's not, yeah, let's just let's just remove 2020 from everything. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I came to South Baines and uh, I started as, as a chef to party. Mm-hmm. Uh, I worked my way. What's a chef to party, by the way? So, chef to party is like a chef of a section. Okay, so usually a, kitch- a kitchen will be broken down into different sections. So, you've got like a, maybe Cold starters, hot starters, okay. uh, meat section, fish section, uh, pastry, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So, if you're CDP, chef de party of a section, that's your section. You're you're okay. solely responsible for that. So, I started as a CDP. I moved my way around on different sections. I got promoted. I think a year later, I got promoted to junior sous chef, and then a the year after that, I was uh, promoted to sous chef. Wow! So, yeah, it's, it's been uh, yeah, it's been good because I think it's just. It shows that you progress in your career, mm-hmm. you know. You get, so it's good. I think you're playing it down a bit as well. I think you need to tell people that's a, a two mission star restaurant where you work, Kevin. <laughs> to me, to it's me, not just I a don't restaurant. know. <laughs> uh, I, I, I don't know. Do, do I play it down? I think it's, it's just a job. Yeah. It's more than a job. Come on, no, because it's I more think than a job. no, no matter where, no, no matter where I'd work. No matter who I work for, yeah. I apply the same thing. You know, I I treat every business that I every boss that I work for, I treat his business as if it was my business. Mm-hmm. You know, I put a lot of care into and, and and attention to these things because I, I I know what it's like to have a business. I've seen it from a young age, the the pressures of owning a business and mm-hmm. getting the right staff in. So I can't, I guess it's just my work ethic. You know, mm-hmm. to me, it's just work. It's just and because I love food so much. I don't see it as work. So maybe that's why I play it down. <laughs> I think when I discovered you on Instagram, it was, um, I, know it, I know I said, let's not talk about 2020, but let's just talk about 2020, just for this topic. Yeah, right. <laughs> and I've seen that you've been making lots of like Chinese food. Is that something that you've always done or is that something that you've just recently picked up or? It's, it's, it's only since coming home during the first lockdown of last year, mm-hmm. uh, obviously coming back, eating all these foods that dad used to cook for me before brought back a lot of childhood memories, you know, mm-hmm. a lot of nostalgia and then realizing that, you know what, I know how to, I've spent 10 years learning to become a chef, but I've learned how to cook western style food or fine dining mm. but the reason why i got into cooking was because i missed my dad's food at university so that's why i think now on my instagram because I, what i cook on my instagram is not what i cook professionally it's what i just do on my days off at home mm. uh, so i i said you know i, I want to eat i fancy eating this today so i'll make that you know so i'll ring i'll ring dad sometimes because I, if i don't know something i have to ring him dad how do you make it but because i know how to cook his short descriptions you know he can just say put a little bit of this put a little bit of that so uh, he just tells me what's what he uses then i might have to go google a recipe because obviously i have to like research that but then i'll just see what they do see what he does and then use my own intuition and then i mm-hmm. just cook i kind of do it like that and when your dad tells you like when he gives you that like, tips on like what to cook does he give you measurements no measurements. No, just, no, just, no. just whack it in. <laughs> just this, just this. Some this, some this, that. This is just Asian style. It's always freestyle, you know? Even the home cooks are like that. All the aunties are always like that. No, 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 no. Just, 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 just put in, just put in. Because you know? 
because I was speaking to my mum about this. So recently I've been wanting to learn how to make tan, which is soup in Cantonese, you know, like Chinese soup. Last month she sent me some uh, donggui tan, like some the ingredients for it. And donggui is a soup that a lot of, um, it, it's a lot of women drink because a lot of women drink it after they, after they've had the period or after they've given birth and it's meant to um, replenish the blood that you've lost and to rejuvenate you. So mum sent me all these like donggui and then I said to my mum like right mum what do, what do I do with this and she's just like get a pan of water, fill it up, get it boiling, put the donggui all the ingredients in so that there was a donggui which is the root from the tree and then there was like all these like goji berries and all these other things that she she said she told me what they were, but I just don't know I still don't know what it is. And then she sent me the rock sugar, but she said put the rock sugar at the very end. And then she said, when you're boiling it, the water will evaporate. And when it does evaporate, don't add any more water in. And I'm like, okay, mum, so how much water do I put in? And she's like, just just put it in. I'm like, well, that doesn't make sense. So I remember like uh because I FaceTimed her, there's like I had two two pans I had like a really big pan and then uh and then like just like a kind of medium-sized pan I went which one she goes any la any la I'm like but that doesn't make sense and we kind of went back and forth and I think she was getting frustrated because she was just like because she doesn't know the measurements she she just does it like because she's been doing it for years I started making it and then um and return like you get to a boiling point and then you just simmer it for like hours and that's what that's what happened and then I made it uh, I had like an egg in it and everything and I made it but it was just so watery and yeah so but I think next time I do it I just need to like simmer it for like much longer but just going back to what you were saying like there's just there's just no measurements it's like no measurements at all because cooking is a science and to them it's just cooking but if you actually look at food food is a science you know if you can understand the science of cooking it makes cooking so much easier mm. And that's what chefs do. We understand the science of cooking. So that's what we can cook. We can adapt very quickly. But to like a home cook or to someone who's been doing it for years and having these things passed down, they're just told, you just do it like that. Mm. That's how much you put in. So everything is always by eye. But because you've done it by eye and you know how it should taste, I think it becomes intuition after a while. Mm. Yeah. (laughs) So last time when when we spoke, you said so much about your dad. Yeah. And I want you to tell us more about your dad because I think your dad's got like an amazing story. I want to hear everything <laughs> because your dad is an actual proper, proper chef. <laughs> I'll start I'll start from the beginning, how he met my mum. Yeah, right? do it. <laughs> so my dad is from like Johor, which is the southern state in uh, Malaysia. It's very okay. near Singapore. And my mum's side is from uh, Perak, which is like above KL, near Ipoh, up north way. And my dad was 35 he had uh, three restaurants. He had a share in like a business in Singapore and two in Malaysia. And he's a chef because that's what he did. He never went to school. He started to cook when he, when he was probably my age, if not younger, uh, because my parents had, my grandparents had a noodle business. So he grew up helping around with that. Uh, those that went to school, went to school. Those that didn't had to work, you know, um, and also what they did was they do catering, like they cater for weddings and, and functions and things like that. So if they were having doing this large wedding, they would invite all these Cantonese chefs from Singapore, from Hong Kong. So my dad somewhere how my dad learned how to cook. He would watch these chefs because he would see how to do all the roast ducks, all the roast, you know, crispy pork, roast duck, things like that. And all the uh, frying, everything he watched, he just learned. That's his formal training. And obviously him and the brother learned how to do that. Then they set up their restaurants. It's the maid that came to clean his house and to do his laundry was a bit of a gossip queen. So she went and got her hair cut. So my auntie was also living in the same area. My auntie is on my mum's side okay. and she was a hairdresser. Right. So that, that woman went and got her hair cut from my auntie. And she the was maid. like, oh, you so know... The- the maid, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. The maid went to get her haircut. She's like, "Oh, you, you know, you know that boss that has that restaurant, blah 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 blah." And Shmanti was like, "Yeah." She goes, "Oh, you know, he's single. You know, he's looking for a wife. He's looking, you know, he's asking, do you, do, you, do, do I know anyone?" So obviously, my, the maid said to my auntie, and my auntie was like, oh, "I think I've got one sister who needs to get married." Because <laughs> back then, that, that that was the normal thing, you know, to to get a match made, which I think 
I don't know. I, I, it's, it, it seems weird, but I think if, if that's the norm, mm-hmm. it's, it, is, it is what it is, you know? But, so my mom came down, met my dad. I think my dad fell in love. <laughs> um, but I remember my aunties on my, on my, my, my dad's sisters were like, they came to visit him one day and they saw these shoes, right? my mom's shoes in the back of the car. And they were like, Michael, Whose shoes are these? <laughs> and my dad, because he's very, he's a very reserved person, very shy as well. And he just didn't really say much. And then they were like, we want to see who this woman is. Obviously, because they're very protective. They're like, we want to see who this woman is that's going to date our brother. And uh, my mom, <laughs> yeah, she, they met my mom and then they loved my mom because she's a very like, outspoken person. She was like, um, she walked into uh, my auntie's office because my auntie used to work for Emirates. I think she still does. But she walked into the office, did a little twirl around and said, here I am. Uh, what, what else do you want to see or something like that? Oh, <laughs> amazing. So they, oh, then they had me. So, were you, were you, so you were born in Malaysia, yeah? Yeah, I was born in Malaysia. Okay. And my uncle then moved to Ireland to, mm-hmm. to study. He ended up working in a, for a Chinese restaurant. And uh, decided to do his own thing, I think, after a few years. He found a place to open a business. He needed a chef. So he rang home. And then he was like, do you know anyone that can cook? And then they're all like, your sister just got married to a chef. <laughs> and so, yeah, it was all kind of like faith, I suppose, whatever. And then it was like, my dad, my dad then first came over to learn how to cook uh, this uh, Irish english chinese style food <laughs> you know because that's not the food that we in asia you know it's this is completely different so yeah my dad came over learned how to cook this food spent a year i think in dublin with my uncle working in some chinese restaurant and then they came to navin and opened up and then we found out as well from our last chat <laughs> oh this is this is such a small world so i um <laughs> I remember, so for listeners out there, I was messaging Calvin saying, just to talk about, you know, the podcast and, you know, your set, blah, blah, blah. And then basically before I interview my guests, I really stalked them. And I remember going onto your Instagram and I was, and I seen that you tagged yourself in co-meath and counter meath and I was like oh my god counter meath that's that thing's such that sounds so familiar and I remember oh yeah my, I've got cousins who live in in Navin. and I remember messaging you just thinking oh it's, there's probably like a big Chinese community in Navin. but I remember messaging you Calvin saying oh do you know a family like a Chinese family with the surname Yip and you were like is it Tony and Michelle I went oh my god that's my auntie and uncle <laughs> such a small world because yeah, I, because I, I really thought you were going to come back to me and say, George, you know, there's like more Chinese people in Ireland. It's not just like <laughs> dad and my uncle. <laughs> so I was really surprised that you said that you, you're like, you know, you know of well, them. Yeah. Yeah, because of it, it's it's a small town. It's a very small town. There's not that many Chinese people. Because mm. your auntie and uncle set up business first, I think, in '79. Mm. This is what I found out from my uncle, and ten years later, my uncle set up. And then obviously over over a long time, it got better. Mm-hmm. People started to embrace Chinese food. You know, the, my uncle opened up. Then there was two restaurants in the town. Then my, eventually after a while, my mom and my dad opened up. There's three mm-hmm. in the town. But I think now there's probably, your uncle and auntie is still there. My uncle still has his place. My dad mm-hmm. sold his. But I think there's probably at least over 10 now. Mm-hmm. You know, it's really blown up because I think at the time it was a, it's a grow, it was growing. The town was growing mm-hmm. um, because obviously the new, the motorway was being built. It's a commuters, a county to Dublin. So like houses are cheaper. So a lot of people started to move out. Um, yeah, it's interesting place in Avon. I don't know. I mean, I'm from here. It's what it's where I consider home, but I rarely live here. You know, it's just, it's childhood memories really, I suppose. Yeah. I haven't spent my adult life here at all, really. And only recently, I really want to start getting more into my Chinese 
cooking myself yesterday because I'm off work now until the 11th of January so I've got like a tiny bit of time on my hands for well whatever time that Sadie will allocate for me anyway but um <laughs> yesterday oh you'll be so proud of me yesterday I made spare ribs for the first time <laughs> it's so time. good first time <laughs> and you know what it was like it was so easy it was so so easy I FaceTime my brother-in-law, he owns, uh, my brother-in-law and my sister, they own the Golden Dragon in Edinburgh. And I was just asking him, like, you know, what do I do? Um, and then he just basically told me the recipe. Uh, I went out to uh, the Chinese supermarket and I bought some, like, you know, some ingredients. And then, um, but also, like, earlier on last summer as well, we did a, quite a few um, cook cook-alongs with him so he taught mm. us me and my brother like just through zoom he taught us how to make like maple delfu the only problem with maple delfu i think when i cut the, the 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 tofu it was just too big it's meant to be quite small pieces but i didn't know that and it didn't have enough sauce but anyway it tasted bloody amazing <laughs> just, but you know what it wasn't the same though it it wasn't it wasn't the same and but it just tasted so good and it's just so nostalgic and i don't know i just felt i felt really good yeah. And the next steps that I want to do is I want to make a suyuk, a crispy roast pork. Okay. So I went to the supermarket and because um, you can't really get crispy pork belly from a lot of like you know, Tesco's and Sainsbury's, you can't really get it. So I went to, well, in the ones near me, I can't get it anyway. So when I went to the Chinese supermarket, I went, um, I bought crispy pork belly from there. But I don't know, I bought like 1.5 kilos, but I did it in my head. I thought I just got one and a half kilos, but then he cut it up, and I was like, "This is massive! massive. Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah, yeah. big." Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I, I'm, I, <laughs> I, I'm a bit like that as well. I get a bit excited with the food because I remember coming back to Nottingham. Like you said, you can't get the crispy, we can't get pork belly in Tesco's and stuff like that, or Sainsbury's. So, and obviously the counter was closed. So I was like, "Dad, I want to eat pork because I wanted to make loads of pork things like back with there, crispy pork." And he was like, go to the Polish shop or the Eastern, any Eastern European shop. Because here in Avon, there's like, I think three of them. There's a Lithuanian one, there's a Polish one and a Romanian one. So he goes between them all. Like he knows. My dad has the whole town scoped out. He's like, Mondays, I go there because the chicken is fresh. Tuesdays, I go to that one because the pork is fresh. He, he has it down to tea. Papa Tan, yeah. what <laughs> <laughs> So like, because obviously he knows what, wherever he wants to cook, he'll be like, Oh, Dad, let's do this. She goes, Thursday. Okay, we need to wait Thursday because the pork comes in fresh on Thursday. I'm like, right, okay. So he told me, you know, give me that tip. He said, go go find an Eastern European shop. So I found a Polish shop. I went in, it was like heaven. It was like pork belly everywhere. There was pig's trotters. There was like uh, the ham hocks. It was like all the stuff that you're not going to find in Tesco. Because like, you know, British people don't eat this stuff. It's very rare to find it. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of butchers don't hold this really. It's only like restaurants might use it for stocks. And Chinese people eat it because these things are like you eat everything in China. You know, Chinese people eat everything. Mm. They are the original nose to tail. You know, now everybody's like trending nose to tail. Fuck off. The Chinese people have been doing it for 4,000 years. (laughs) (laughs) You know? Yeah. Nothing gets wasted because nothing at all. Because I think that's people, yes, it's probably part of it is probably because of poverty because China was so poor back then. You know, Mm. it was famine stricken. But when you are poor, you are going to maximize every part of that animal, whether it's a fish or a pork or lamb, whatever, you're going to maximize it. And it, tr- it teaches you respect. I think that's the most important thing, to respect the animal, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, no wastage. But, uh, yeah, <laughs> no wastage. <laughs> no wastage. But yeah, like that, that crispy pork, I, I went crazy. I was like, I think I got kilos. Man, I'm on my own. You know, I'm living with a vegetarian, so it was like me just eating the whole thing by myself. <laughs> <laughs> so Chinese Chinese cooking and all the you know the chefs that our our dad's generation. Mm-hmm. it's basically been in generations and generations and generations and from what i can see there's all these like new chefs coming in and they're trying to like do things differently and you know there's quite a lot of you know like non-asian chefs trying to cook you know asian food and stuff i just i'm just curious to know what your thoughts are about that um so my dad my dad's very traditionalist 
you know, the way he looks at food, it's it's the way he was taught. It's the old methods. And he is open to new ideas, but only if you present it to him and to let him taste it. If he likes it, he likes it. If he doesn't, he doesn't, you know. But uh, I think I'm a little bit of a traditionalist as well. I do like like classics. And I'm, I'm talking about like in terms of like French cuisine. Because the way I was taught was like classical French food. And that's the foundation of like most of gastronomy, like the Western world's gastronomy. And I think it's like young chefs, they don't know how to cook classically, but they learn all like Asian things. Or they learn, there's nothing wrong with that, you know, because there's so much food out there. But I think if you don't have a certain foundation behind, you can't build upon that skill, you know, because you can be a head chef, mm-hmm. you know, but you'd probably be a head chef for some crap pub that smashes things into a microwave, you know? <laughs> but like, you know, what happens if your microwave breaks or whatever? You're fucked, you know? There's a lot of people, there's a lot of young people out there that they want the fame, but they don't want to go to put in hard work. They just want the glory. They, that's it. They see, oh, master chef, or oh, how many like followers on Instagram or famous chefs on TV, all these accolades. But what people don't realize is that, yeah, TV makes you look good. But TV doesn't show you all the hard work you've put in over the years behind that. Mm-hmm. You know, TV only shows you the good bits. It's like my Instagram. I'm not going to show you all the crap bits. I'm going to show you the best. <laughs> Nobody shows the crap bits on Instagram. Nobody does. Everything's nah, all filtered nah, out, you know. I know, I know. But like, I think and what, what's starting to annoy me is like, I see this picture perfect food. You know, like, and, and and this is what the people want because they, all these people have they're big influencers, 50K following, but the food is too perfect. It's like something you see in a magazine or a, a, a cookbook on a coffee table. You know, yeah, it's beautiful or a website mm. or something, but it's not real. Like, I look at that picture and I know, yeah, that tastes like shit. I know <laughs> straight away. I look at and I look at it, I go, you, you've placed things there specifically to make it look good or whatever, but I know deep down it's cold. It's bland probably because it's not seasoned. You've just assembled something for the sake of a picture. So I don't really like pages like that. I like real food. You know, I like when I look at it, thing, even though it might be like amateur at home, that's, that's real. Mm-hmm. That's honest. You know, I, I like that. I've got, a, I've got a, a big question to ask you. Really yeah. big question. So let's just pretend tomorrow you're on death row. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and tonight tonight's your last meal you can only pick one dish as well calvin i'm just gonna let you choose one dish one dish just one okay how about this instead of a dish can i have two items yes if that makes sense (laughs) so i want to have rice and noodles because i can't answer you specifically one certain dish it's too hard. It's way too hard because there's so many good... <laughs> Georgie, that's a horrible question. <laughs> Jesus. Like, like the, the, last time I, the last time I answered it, I said I want a tasting menu. Yeah, you know, and that's I what I said. not allowed one. <laughs> yeah, but if I'm going to go out, I want to go out in style. Tasting so, menu of my life. So basically, <laughs> listeners, last time I asked, like, in a version one, I asked Calvin this question. And he was like, oh, I want a tasting menu with 20, <laughs> 20 different dishes. <laughs> I, don't, I honestly don't know. It's it's such a difficult question because I'll say this I'll I'll give you an answer and I'll regret the answer. But what would be your top dish like the dish that you would always look forward to? So, in the past few years I've been coming home for Christmas, and we used to never really celebrate Christmas because I was always working, like on Christmas Day or whatever. But because where I am now, we have a Christmas holiday, so it gets me it gives me the chance to come home and spend time with family. Um, so over the years, I'm, I was like, Dad, let's do crispy pork or let's do roast duck. So it was always kind of one or the other. Or chance to you. And then this year, I was like, fuck it. Let's go big. Let's do all of them. <laughs> you know, we got a goose, one of their goose for Christmas. Did that like the Cantonese style. We roasted it. And then we made the crispy pork and we did charcy pork. Oh, nice. And that's all we needed. And then obviously I was like, dad, we, maybe, maybe some like stir fried broccoli just for some green, <laughs> just, for some, just for some color. <laughs> but okay. So I, I do enjoy that. Um, I enjoy his bakute. I think bakute is probably a big one. Uh, bakute what is, that is a, oh, sorry. Yeah. So yeah, bakute is a, uh, the, dir- the direct translation is pork bone tea. 
So you use spare ribs um, to make the broth. So it's kind of like your tong, in a very herbal, a lot of Chinese herbs, uh, some spices in there as well. And you can, nowadays you just go to the Asian supermarket and you buy the packet. You know, they're all like in, in a sachet. Mm-hmm. So you just pop the sachet in, mm-hmm. you add your water in, uh, you add your pork ribs in. And it's so simple. It's as simple as that. But my dad, my dad's brother, so my uncle, he had a, a restaurant in the town that they were in. And he was quite famous for his uh, bakute. Because there's three kind of types. There's, I think, Cantonese do one. The Duchu people do one and Hokkien people do one. So my dad's side is Duchu and they're very the the flavors are more peppery. They focus more on pep, pepperiness, like white pepper, coriander, they like to eat fish sauce, things like that. Hokkien side is like they put loads of stuff into it, like tofu, fried tofu puffs, uh, pig stomach, you know, mushrooms. So nice. So it's like, yeah, it's, it's like complete opposite, you know. And I, I, my mom's side is Hokkien, my dad's side is uh you so mm-hmm. kind of like blessed both really would you ever cook chinese food for your dad like how does that work <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've never tried uh i've never attempted i mean if my dad goes out because my dad still works for my uncle he like goes in to work a couple of days a week so if he's away and he hasn't cooked i'll cook obviously mm-hmm. so i'll like i'll see what's in the fridge if i want to cook chinese i'll cook for my brother but I'll never do it for my dad. No way. Like, I cook European food from. Okay. Like, I cook white food. I cook pasta. Like, I handmade, I handmade pasta or paella. Things I know that he kind of might like. Yeah. Like, if I make him a burger, he'll eat it. But I know he's not enjoying it, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. He, 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 loves my, he loves my pasta. I know, I know that. <laughs> <laughs> Because is, that because, is that because he doesn't say anything? He's just like, hmm. Yeah, he doesn't, say, he doesn't say anything. He just like slurps it all down like, so fast. And I, I think the only reason why is probably because it's, it's egg noodles. At the end of the day, that's what pasta is. It's egg noodles. Yeah. You know, um, I, my, my dad's not around anymore. So he's not here to defend himself. <laughs> but um, the last time I saw my dad, it was a few years ago and he had to have like a a, a small surgery. So I thought I'll just go up to Ed- um, not Edinburgh, sorry. I'll go up to the Wirral and I'll spend a week with him just to kind of be there for him and other work from home and just to kind of look after him. And then I remember like, the lead like on the train on the way up I got really really stressed out Kelvin I was just like oh my god like I'm gonna spend a week with my dad I'm gonna have to bloody cook for him and I've only cooked for my dad once and that was it was when I just after I moved to London so it must be in about 2008 and I cooked my dad from scratch fajitas and he I cooked it and he he hated it there's no flavor <laughs> <laughs> I thought it tasted really good. No flavor. There's no rice. Um, I served it on the plate, and he was like, "Put you are next time. Take me to one guest, please." And I was just like, "Oh!" So I've never cooked for him since. Never cooked for him. And then when I fast forward a few years, um, when I went up to to see him uh, to spend time with him after just to kind of look after him, and I remember just like, oh, really stressing out, thinking, "Oh my god," because because I can kind of cook. Obviously, not to your level, but I can cook but just not to his style or not to his taste to and, I remember, as well, yeah. <laughs> and I remember I arrived to I arrived into the world I went to his house dumped my bags off I got I got in his car drove to the hospital picked him up I drove I got him into the car and I was driving and I was just like oh my god I need to ask my dad if he can cook for me this whole week right don't forget he's just had surgery and I was like dad he's like Jamia <laughs> Jamia, you know and I went dad mm, uh, can you cook tonight he's like huh I'm a gal chore it's like huh what the heck and it's like, he's like can you still not cook you're in your 30s you still can't cook I went dad I can cook but it's, I hate cooking for you because I've only cooked for you once and you totally criticised it I'm, not, I'm never ever cooking for you again and uh and yeah <laughs> for that whole week when it's supposed to be resting he actually cooked cooked for me cooked me dinner the whole the whole week and it was oh but honestly Kelvin it was so nice yeah. and uh, my dad's one of those he kind of sounds like your dad like it doesn't matter what there is in the fridge in the freezer he can just cook up something and it would taste yeah. 
<laughs> effing amazing. It would taste so good. And that was my dad. So when I worked in, in the takeaway, I used to work in the front and my dad used to, he never used to let any of us work in the kitchen with him because I think he used to think it was like, it was more dangerous. There'd be all the meat cleavers and there'd be hot oil and stuff. But you used to get the hot oil in the front anyway when we used to be frying fish and chips. And my mum says she preferred just working at the front because we were all fluent in English. But my dad used to say he used to regret not having us being more involved in the kitchen because then he would have taught us how to make proper food. Food, yeah. 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 But you see, they probably they, they didn't want you to learn how to cook because they don't they didn't think you were going to be taking relate doing a food, you know, working in the food industry because they wanted you probably to study and to focus more on that to get a good yeah. job but then yeah probably later on in life it's like oh god i should have thought how to cook yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> he always said that to me because oh, you, sh- you should have worked in the kitchen with me because look at what you're cooking <laughs> but i suppose i was the same do you know what i mean because i didn't know how to cook as well so i was like i need to learn you know okay i didn't learn i should i had i had that like i've wasted all that time with my dad that was a long time where yeah. so many opportunities I could have, I wasn't really wasted because I was in the kitchen. I, I absorbed a lot of things because mm-hmm. I remember the smell. I remember seeing things. I remember looking at ingredients. So I was always observant of everything, but yet yeah, to actually know how to do it. I remember the first time I tried to use the wok, the guy was like, the chef was like, come try it, try it. And I was like, I don't know how to do it. You know, I'm trying to like cook fried rice. He's like, just do it. And then eventually like you kind of get it yeah if you get a flow but it's very difficult it's quite tough it's not easy you know the walk's really heavy as well i don't know how my dad Mm. used to do it because my dad was like quite a short man you know very strong working working in a chinese kitchen you have to be physically strong yeah it's 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 it's, because they're on your feet all the time the walks are heavy you know those turbo gas uh, cylinders whatever they use because it's not just your normal gas it's like super hot you know uh, so you get the wok hay, you know. <laughs> yeah, the wok hay. I miss, <laughs> I miss the sound of a, yeah. a Chinese kitchen. But you know what? I think, I don't know if I'm just like being too stereotypical, but I know like from my experience working at my dad's restaurant, so I'm at uh, my parents' takeaway, and then I worked at my sister's restaurant as well. The kitchen is so it's so high-pressured. And there's always, like, lots of shouting, lots of screaming, and they can get really angry. And even when I go to the restaurants in Chinatown, you can just always hear, like, the chefs, like, screaming. Yeah, my, my, I don't know what it is with Chinese head chefs. My dad used to lose his shit as well a lot. He was just, whatever, whatever would trigger him, like, let's say if just couldn't, it got really busy uh, or somebody made a mistake or, you know, if, like if the girls came in, they're like, Michael, I need you to cook this dish. They, they made a mistake or something, whatever it was. Oh. And if he wasn't in a good mood, he'd be triggered. You know, you could hear yeah. him. He'd be like, the walk, the way he'd be cooking, would be so aggressive. The walk being smashed down more. Uh, just the way he'd even plate food and he'd be like firing things at you, <laughs> you know, and I'm like, they're trying to like catch things. <laughs> You know what? It just reminds me of, um, I used to hate it because obviously human error does occur. And I remember like, um, you know, my dad's takeaway or my sister's restaurant. And you know, when I've got to go back into the kitchen and with a towel between my legs and go, oh, I've made a mistake. <laughs> they wanted chicken, not pork. So Kelvin, what are you like in the kitchen? And do you live up to that? Are you that <laughs> kind of stereotypical angry chef? Uh I get angry when mistakes happen. I don't like, I don't initially, like, I'm not going to get angry straight away because I don't think that's the right way to work. And I haven't worked for chefs that get angry at me, you know? So I've worked for good chefs who kind of like, if you make a mistake and it's a genuine mistake, you know, as you say, human error, you know, mistakes do happen. So it depends on how you, you, if you've learned from your mistake, how you rectify that. And if you make sure you don't do it again in the future. Is there anything you want to plug, Calvin? Or how can we find you? You can find me on my Instagram. It's Kelvin Tan WC. Where else am I on? I think I've just really used Instagram. I'm more, I'm more active on Instagram. Yeah. I'm on Twitter as well with the same handle, but it kind of links up. It's the same thing. I, I, I don't tweet or whatever. It's like... Twitter's too much it, for me. I, yeah, I'm on Twitter as well. It's just too much. But I like Instagram because I think it's like... 
you know, it, it's made me find a new ECR community and stuff. So yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it, I suppose social media has got it's it's good and it's bad. I mean, it's good in that sense that you can see, you can get inspiration from ideas, or you can like read stories or get you know like you can like you said the easy eats you can see people's mm. stories you can learn about people mm. you can see the delicious foods that people are cooking but it's got its downfall as well like it's it's a bitch like uh, if, if, if you don't know how to control it right can you hear sadie in the background yeah i can hear her now but can when i listen to it she wake <laughs> So, Kelvin, I'm going to have to go. Of course, of course. I need to be. I need to be a mum. But this has been really good to to, to chat yeah. to you again. Well, hopefully, but, um, the quality is better. So much, and I can tell it's so much better. Hold on, do you want to meet Sadie again? Just give me two, yeah. give me two seconds. I need to go and get her. Nah, she's not in a good mood. <laughs> she's not having it. That's my cue. Right. But I need to go. Okay. Um, thanks, Calvin, for doing this, um, for, for chatting with me again. No worries, no worries. See you later. Yeah, all right, take care of yourself. Bye, 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 bye. bye, bye. Oh, Kelvin Tan, you are such a diamond. Thank you so much for sharing your story and being a guest on the show. I can't wait for us all to be vaccinated as I've literally roped him to come around to the flat and cook dinner for you and I. You'll have heard my little girl Moi Moi in the background towards the end as she's wanting to get in on the action and I'm sure she'll want to be fed by Uncle Kelvin as well. No pressure, Kelvin. Anyway, thanks so much for listening, guys. Stay safe and wear a mask lap. Okay, bye.